The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and happy Wednesday. We are coming to you live from Salem, New Hampshire, and we are going to discuss self-awareness and dog training today. What do you mean by that, Jess? Scott actually came up with this topic while he was meditating, trying to be self-aware, so this is going to be a heck of an episode. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. And my quirky tip today um, comes from Dr. Karen Becker. If you don't follow her on Facebook, she has um, a huge Facebook following, and I really like a lot of the things she has to say. But she just did this um, printout of giving some sort of a cleanse to your dogs if you use some of these more pesticidal type of things with flea and tick treatment. So some of those may include Brevecto, Nexgard, Simparica, um, and Revolution Plus. And actually in a study, 66% of owners that used those specific products had adverse reactions in some way, shape, or form. So her cleanse includes a bunch of stuff, but um, including curcumin, and I thought it was interesting, but broccoli sprouts, our dogs never get that. So check that um, handout out on her Facebook page. That'll make them throw up. (laughs) It'll make them gassy maybe. But uh, it is important because I've even seen that with past clients where the dog gets, you know, flea and tick medication and maybe heartworm treatment and then blood work is randomly run. And the organ values are really kind of off, especially if it's run right afterward. And then a few weeks later, it looks better. So the cleanse after you give these types of treatments uh, isn't a bad idea. Check it out. Dr. Karen Becker. Is that going to cleanse out the actual stuff you want to have in them? (laughs) I I think it's just going to help flush the organs and it'll still be effective for the fleas and the ticks and everything. Oh, they had milk thistle in there also. Yeah, it's one of the the options. There's a lot of different uh, little cocktails that you can give, but I thought that was a fascinating way to look at it and I hadn't considered it before. We're a little more homeopathic when it comes to those things, but if you do give those products, uh, check it out. So self-awareness, honey. Well, I was thinking, because I've been out busy seeing a lot of clients this past month, it's been a very busy month for us, and a lot of people are just in a rush all the time and having trouble connecting with their dog on any level. And I was was thinking about this self-awareness, just be aware of what you're doing, because quite often it's common knowledge the dogs are reading our body language way before they learn any verbal commands. So they see us doing things and they're reacting to our body behavior, even though we're not even aware of what we're doing. So having that physical self-awareness of what we're doing when we're reaching for a leash triggers that get your dog excited. There's a lot of different things that we do that creates negative behaviors in our dogs. We don't know how to fix it. We get frustrated when quite often it's just as simple as just changing our routines a little bit to um, take the excitement out of some of these triggers that the dog may be having. When Scott talks about like being self-aware and living in the moment, I mean, that's, that's, I would say one of the main issues we have when we're training people and dogs. Like we, we think about doing a loose leash walking exercise, the dog's in a sit, the person's already thinking about the dog walking next to them, you know, in position and everything else. Like if you're three steps ahead, then the dog isn't able to really process either. You have to be in the moment for the dog's sake. And it's hard. It is hard for people, especially in America these days, to be in the moment and to be self-aware and to be living presently and doing that well, because it does take a lot of forethought not to be living in the past, not to be living in the future. But if you're three steps ahead, the dog 
dog is at least three steps ahead and it's causing a lot of confusion for everything. So let's break down this routine stuff a little bit because you touched on it a little bit. But like a common thing I would say is grabbing a leash before a walk or grabbing some sort of equipment before there's, a walk. There's things people do. They tell me how the dog gets very excited when they're going to go for a walk, starts jumping on them, gets all worked up. And, but then they are actually creating that by they, the first thing they say is, you ready to go for a walk? <laughs> And then the dog gets excited and then they go for the leash and then that creates more excitement and more excitement. So then they can barely get the leash on the dog because the dog is so spun up and out of control. Uh, I would say, you know, have some forethought uh, and some intention as to what you're going to do when you're going to take your dog out. Get, you know, your treats, if you're gonna, whatever training tools you're going to have, uh, get that stuff prepared so that you're not halfway out the door realizing I didn't bring my treats again. I didn't bring my poop bags again. You know, all the, the, this is pretty typical stuff, yeah. you know? And if your dog is one of those dogs that gets really amped up when you go to grab the harness or the collar or the leash or whatever it is that equipment you use to walk the dog, then maybe keep that next to you while you watch TV at night and pick it up randomly. Like, switch up those routines. Change what's going on so the dog isn't always anticipating. That is, like, a huge thing that if you have these specific routines that trigger specific things, going to the car is another one. The dog's, you know pull out of the door, jump, race into the car, all of this, practice going to the car, structured, and then just turn around and go back in the house sometimes. Like these little things will help the dogs to kind of unpack, hey, it's not how I always expected. I don't actually know what's going to happen and I have to pay more attention myself. That's a really huge point to bring up. Yeah, I always tell people if they typically go out the driveway and take a right, I tell them to go out and take a left. Or if you can't get to the sidewalk uh, with your dog not pulling already... Don't continue on because you're rewarding that behavior. The dog wants to go for a walk and is pulling and people always side with the dog. Oh, the dog really needs to get out. The dog has a lot of energy. The dog has to pee. We got to rush out. And I tell him, well, the dog was home for six hours before you got there and didn't pee in the house. (laughs) I think it can make it five minutes until you establish a little control and then bring them out without the dragging and the pulling, you know? And one thing that comes up a lot, and we've probably touched on it peripherally at least, but transitions. Transitions, especially if you have a dog that is more prone to anxiety or let's call it overexcitement. People seem to think anxiety is like a huge buzzword these days. It's so funny. Well, it's a trigger for them. Yes, because they may have anxiety too. I'm possibly. not sure what or, it is. Or the but kids or something. So often Scott's on the phone and, you know, people are like, oh, my dog's eating everything off the ground. My dog's following me all around the house. My dog's just running a mile a minute every Every single day. And Scott goes, oh, it sounds like the dog's anxious. And immediately you, I can hear him through the phone. Oh, no, no, it's not anxiety. My dog's not anxious at all. very energetic. So whatever term you want to call this, where the dog is a little bit vibrating at a higher level, let's say, those transitions are hugely important. And that's typically when we're dropping down the barrier of our self-awareness. So let's say you are going out the door. Maybe you have an appointment or something for the dog. You're thinking about, you know, oh, I got to stop at the mailbox first. What route am I going to take? Is there still construction on this road? You know, do I have my wallet to pay for the grooming? Whatever it's going to be. And you're not in the moment and you're not self-aware. So transitions, I would say coming out of a crate, if you crate your dog, especially if it's, you know, for a training session, Leaving the crate to beginning a training session is a hugely important transition. If that's just blurred and like, ah, I'm so excited to go, then that's carrying over to the training. 
doorways, huge thing, huge transition there. When dogs are getting overly excited at the doorway, take some time to train the doorways when you don't have to leave. Get some control there. Both of you need to be thinking, okay, we're crossing this threshold. We're in the moment together. We're moving forward. The more in the moment you are for the transitions, the more that the training and the behavior in between is going to look a little less more seamless. Yeah, and all of these things require you to be aware of what's going on so that you can actually start fixing things. Because if you're just doing and not thinking... Uh, it's always the same. It's or it's getting worse. It's never getting better on its own because the dog is kind of dictating what you do, how fast you do it. You're trying to help the dog get outside quicker and all this stuff, and it just gets worse and worse. Yeah. You know? If you don't change it up, you're going to be getting the same thing over and over again. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. So you need to make a change yourself. And it's so funny sometimes, even when Scott and I will take the leash versus the owner, how the dog changes just because we are more in the moment. That's something that we both love about dog training. When you're working with a dog, if you're not in the moment, you're not definitely getting the fullest potential out of the dog and you're not getting as much training into the dog as you would like to. And Scott always talks about when he did bite work and it's fascinating. Like that was about as in the moment as he had to be. He's in a suit, a dog's coming down the field at 35 miles an hour. And if he wasn't in the moment at that point, like he easily could get a broken leg or could have injured the dog. Like that forces you to be as in the moment as possible with dogs, but any sort of training or interacting, if you're not in the moment and you're just mindlessly interacting with the dog, that's not necessarily benefiting the relationship or the structure or anything else that has to do with you and your dog and well, your lifestyle together. Well, what happens is you just don't have that connection with the animal, and you wind up just being a caretaker for the animal. You're the person, it's the same as a dog walker coming, hooking the leash on, and then the dog, they just have 15 minutes to get that dog out to pee. They don't really care about establishing any kind of relationship. Their job is just to get the dog out. The dog runs out ahead of them. They go up and down the street. They bring the dog back. They don't own the dog. They may love dogs, but they're not going to establish, take the time to establish a certain relationship with every dog they're working with if they're trying to see 20 dogs in a yeah, day. Yeah, that is a good example, especially someone approaching that more like their business. They're thinking about the next client. They're thinking about picking their kids up from school, what they're going to have for dinner. And yeah, they're not required to be in the moment like that. But you as an owner, you need to be able to harness your mindset and be like, okay, like here I am. I'm in the moment. Sometimes it takes just a deep breath before you even interact with your dog. And if you're having trouble doing these things with your dog, go through the motions without. I would say about three years ago, you became the dog for more clients than I was used to seeing. Like Scott would say, you don't about? you, you would have, you would be holding the leash as though you were the dog. You would have the oh, dog yeah. somewhere else. And like, it was just practicing the mechanics without the dog, because if the dog is causing stress and then that's stressing you out, all of this is just escalating. So if you're feeling like, Oh my God, I really can't be self-aware when I am in the presence of my dog, practice these types of things, these types of transitions, these types of mechanics without your dog even out at all. And that sounds silly, but it is productive. When I used to play canine frisbee all the time, that's a huge thing. Like you go out and you throw the discs without the dog there. That, that is how you get your mechanics down. That is how you get your accuracy and everything else without wearing the dog out every single moment. Yeah. I mean, I was at a client's house last night that the dog has a lot of uh, territorial aggression, a lot of reactivity when people come to the house, even people the dog knows, you know, friends that come over three times a week. The dog goes frigging crazy. It takes 15 minutes for the dog to calm down. They don't use a crate. So the dog is in the environment with these people barking and whatnot, running around. And then when it finally settles down, if somebody gets up to go get a beer out of the fridge, it starts all over again, this rah, 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 crazy stuff. And I said, put a leash on the dog. You know, I came in as a, as a uh, guest, you know, 
and uh, just establish some control. I said, let the dog drag a leash. And uh, after everything calms down, just, you know, you can let them loose again and let them roam around. But if they blow up again, grab the leash, reestablish control, but have a plan there and just be conscious of what's going on and knowing how your dog behaves in those situations. Be proactive rather than just pulling your hair out and being all stressed yeah, out. Or trying you know? to continue the conversation at a louder volume while the dog's freaking out. Okay, we're going to go to break. And when we get back, we're going to talk about a little more, more about the emotional aspect of this, as well as some more things to do with your mechanics while working with the dogs. Does your dog seem anxious? Would you like your dog to relax? Do you want to feel more in control? Would you like your dog to cooperate? HowToCalmYourCanine.com That's HowToCalmYourCanine.com Okay, so self-awareness also, I would say, ties into the emotional aspect of where you are at emotionally, um, maybe overall in your life, and especially that day. So if you're in a shit mood, that's probably not a great time to go and get your dog out and try to work on a new behavior or try to do some training. Like you really have to be self-aware of where you are calibrating emotionally, not only in general, but specifically that day, everything else. You can see a huge difference whether you have the correct intention that Scott mentioned earlier. You mentioned the other day even having like this set intention just to work with even pet dogs nowadays, like just to get your head clear and just to have an intention every time you pick up a leash. So sure, I you mean, have a better obviously session. Obviously, I have a, you know, a goal in mind whenever I pick up the leash from an obedience perspective. But also, I don't want to lose my patience. I don't want to get frustrated with the dog. The dog I know the dog is with me because the dog doesn't, have good behavior and I need to teach the dog something. So I need to get myself centered somewhat, maybe take a deep breath and um, just approach it. Quite often, just being neutral is enough. I don't need to be all happy and, you know, trying to establish a relationship with the dog necessarily like I'm his buddy, but just not having the negative energy and just approaching it in a more clinical way, the dog is fine. But it's it's interesting if you establish, if you can try to connect with your dog, you know, and not let them just blow out the front door and, and get them to realize, shoot, I have to just wait until mom or dad says, okay, it's time to, you know, move forward. Uh, even if you don't have off-leash control, they're going to be checking in with you a lot more because the relationship is different now. You yeah. know, they're going to be conscious of you knowing that you're conscious of them. If you're just, again, letting them two, three feet out in front pulling, maybe they're not dragging you, but they're just kind of pulling you down the road. You drop the leash, what's going to happen? The dog is just going to keep going without you right down the road, you know? Yeah. And if you're, your emotional state, let's say after a hard day at work or something, you're a little more stressed, you may actually see that being able to physically manifest in your dog more too. Your dog may start chewing its paws or licking its legs or whatever you may find that your dog does heavier panting. The dogs play off of that. So you need to either, you know, take a step outside and reel your shit in yourself or realize at least what kind of impact that's having on the dog. Maybe throw the dog in a crate and give the dog a cone. But the more calm that you can keep, not only yourself, but your dog, the entire household is going to benefit from that. So the emotional self-awareness is really important. You were talking about that client um, who was talking about being an empath and how yeah, that kind of translated had, into all of I her relationships. Talking, talking with a woman the other day that said she was an empath. She's very empathetic. Her kids, you know, are, she's very nurturing. And she does this with the dog, of course. Whenever the dog needs anything, or she even perceives that the dog needs anything, she's right there to provide that to the dog so that the dog is feeling 
happy, I suppose. But it's not working in her favor because the dog is, I think, getting more anxious because she's always there, always helping in some way, and it's just not a normal relationship. You yeah, know? and that urge to jump and you know assist the dog and be there for the dog and everything else, the dogs aren't used to being catered to like that in general when someone isn't home or, you know let's talk way back when feral dogs, everything else fending for themselves. Like this is not something that dogs are used to where there's just almost someone there to cater to them. And when that does happen, it can cause a certain level of stress. It can cause a degree of like, oh my gosh, like I'm in control. And if I whine, I'm able to make this happen. And then all of a sudden they're unconsciously doing these things or subconsciously doing these things. And all these little behaviors that maybe drive you nuts later on with the whining and the barking and the chasing at the windows and the pacing, they start to escalate because when the dog gets up, somebody assumes, oh, the dog must have to go outside. We had a client years ago, love them dearly, but they just would leave the door open for the dog. The dog could come in and out as it pleased. And I mean, it worked out for them, but you know, I would assume there'd be more bugs in the house in the summer. And when the door was closed and there was structured time to go outside, everything got a little bit better. They were in control of that rather than the dog saying like, oh, I'm going to run out and see if there's a squirrel in the back of the woods now. Oh, I'm going to come back in and see if there's water for me. You know, it's just racing around all day, kind of mindlessly giving its energy to nothing really that productive. So when there's more structure there, you're going to see some follow through. So the owners are not only feeling better, but the dog is going to be feeling better. And I know it sounds crazy, but we see it time and time and time again, that when the dogs are kind of feel like they can decompress and they don't have a lot of options, they emotionally get more stable very, very, very quickly. It happens in our lives every day and it has for over a decade. And I would say anxiety if you want to call it that, vibrating higher, whatever you want to call it, has definitely had an uptick in the past five years. This hasn't always been the case with dogs. Dogs have not always been this um, overexcitable, this energetic, whatever word you want to use there. People working from home more now than ever. Potentially, yes. But even before COVID, we had a lot of this stuff. So it's important to be mindful of these things. And it all comes back to your own self-awareness. All right. I want to touch on the mechanic stuff because this is an important thing when working with dogs and it's not always intuitive the way that you're supposed to handle a leash or handle a dog or anything else. Scott always says that dog training is simple, but it's not easy. And that's very, very true. So mechanics like um, a J in the leash, that's a great example. So you even talked about before having like a device that if the leash gets straight, like the leash would make some sort of alert uh, yeah, noise. Like a yeah. beeping noise. Yeah. Because... Like something like, oh, your leash is tight. Not so much for the dog and an aversion to the dog, but just for the owner to be more aware because so often people are walking the dog and they're like, oh yeah, my leash is loose. And then all of a sudden it's tight. And then all of a sudden the dog is dragging you or you're concerned because the dog is barking before when it sees another dog and now another dog comes up. So you're grabbing down the leash, you're wrapping it around your hand, whatever you're prepping for this, you know, disastrous moment that may come up. And what that's doing is now translating your nervous energy down the leash right to the dog. So I would say the J in the leash or the loose leash is a huge point to be self-aware. And video yourself. It's so funny. Often clients will be like, oh, the leash is loose. And Scott will just calmly take a video on his camera and say, hey, look at this. And you can see, no, it's tight. No, it's tight. Like it got tight there. And the entire walk to have a loose leash takes a lot of self-awareness, not only for the dog, but especially for you. Because if you want to go for a nature walk, you're not necessarily going to be focusing on this loose leash as much. Yeah. And it's funny that the subconscious things that we do just kick in automatically. When you talked about wrapping that leash around the right hand, I'll tell people, you know, in the first class or maybe the fifth class, Put your thumb through the handle of the leash with the right hand. You're going to hold the leash right about the three-foot area with the, with the left hand. 
And then I'll I'll explain all this to them, and I'll say, okay, now we're going to do some healing. So, and then they just immediately just start, just start wrapping all that leash around their hand, taking up all that extra slack because that's what they've done every time they go out for a walk with this dog is gather up leash to keep the dog next to them. You yeah, know? And, and they're just not even thinking about and it. And there's they a certain intuition with these things, also, if you aren't necessarily reverting back to these types of problem behaviors. We worked with a foster a few weeks ago and there was a dog and we weren't quite sure about the dog and a piece of cheese dropped on the floor and she just intuitively kind of held the leash away while she reached for the cheese. And I commented on that and I said, those are the types of things that most people do not do. Like she was preparing and she didn't even think about it. It wasn't even conscious to her. She just intuitively was thinking, okay, she was so self-aware in that moment that she was like, I'm not sure how this dog may respond. There's food on the ground. Maybe we'll see some resource guarding. And she controlled the situation. Those types of things can happen and benefit the dog just as much as these things that we're talking about with wrapping the leash around your hand and everything else. It's not always a negative impact, but the more self-aware you are, the more the dog is going to feel at ease and they're not going to feel like they have to step up and take control of these types of things. I want to talk about too, um, like adjusting to the dog. So we're a lot of times with obedience, especially if a dog's kind of crooked or something, you see this a lot where the owner will make the adjustment. Well, I'll tell the people to, you know, let's start healing, get it, get your dog in the heel position. And they will walk around and stand on the, on the right side of the dog so that the dog is on their left. <laughs> yeah. Rather than bringing the dog into the heel or teaching the dog to come into the heel, they're accommodating always the dog to make the dog look Yeah, good. or if there's a crooked sit, like the owner will kind of scooch, so they're now Turn both sideways. parallel and everything else. And if or, you're self-aware, what was your other option? Sometimes a dog, when they I'll say, stop, have the dog sit. Dog will stop and sit, but turn around and look behind yeah. them because there's a dog or some distraction behind them. So they'll turn quickly and stand beside the dog in the heel position like it's normal. The dog turned the person around. They're supposed to be going down the street, but now they're aiming back. But if you're not self-aware of this type of thing, you're not thinking, oh, well, that was incorrect. I'm not necessarily helping the dog. That's just, you're adjusting to the dog and you're just doing that subconsciously. So the more you're aware of, okay, my mechanics are going to be like this. I'm going to be facing forward. If the dog pulls, I'm going to do X, Y, Z. If the leash gets tight, I'm going to be able to be aware of it right away. That's what's helping the dog. Your own self-awareness and not just daydreaming is what's going to help the dog. And Scott says it all the time. If you want to go out for a walk for yourself and your dog does not have good loose leash walking, go for a walk. Go for a walk for 30 minutes, for an hour, whatever else with your girlfriend or just yourself out in nature and let that be your own time. But if you're actually going to be training and you're working towards some sort of goal, or you're trying to work through some sort of issue in order to be self-aware for yourself and for your dog, you need to be in the moment there. You can't be multitasking, doing two things at once. It's like all the people that are texting and then all of a sudden fall in a hole. You're like, you know, you're not walking down the sidewalk and texting all at the same time. You have to be thoughtful of what you're doing or you're going to see fallout there. And you don't want your dog to hurt somebody else accidentally. It could be just an overly enthusiastic, happy dog that just jumps on an old lady and knocks her down and she breaks an elbow or a hip or something like that. Those kind of things happen every day. Yeah. And the more you're aware of the behavior changes in your dogs when it sees a person and as a person comes closer and everything else, the better that's going to be. So I guess this is, in a sense, more to benefit you guys than necessarily the dog, but you will see a lot of carryover to the dog. And self-awareness is one of the biggest fallouts we see. It's just if you're five seconds ahead, if you're into the next day, if you're not in the moment with the dog... The dog is going to sense that and the dog is going to know that and they're not going to be in the moment either. And it's not their fault when they're screwing up. There has to be a certain intention that you bring to being in the moment with your dog and working with your dog to set them up for success. One of the easiest ways to get your dog's attention 
and to keep you in the moment is to just not walk at your deliberate pace. Yeah, that is what a good What you one. normally do, people have a, everyone has their own pace. A lot of people tend to walk pretty quickly. And as soon as you get into that pace, the dog gets into their routine pace, yeah. which is three steps ahead of you and just not just disconnected from you. So by just going out and walking as if you have a leg injury, yeah, just walking slow. The dog for starts like looking three at you minutes, like, what's wrong with be you, like, dude? What the heck's yeah. going on? <laughs> and, and they stop pulling. Everything. They just start checking you out. Like, you okay? What's going on? You yeah. Know? No. And these little things, especially like we talked about with the transitions, even if your dog is the most chill dog in the world. Look at your transitions as the dog goes outside, as the dog maybe gets out of the car. That's a good one. As the dog's going to come home from a walk and now maybe the kids are home and your husband's home and everything else. How do those transitions look? Because if those are sloppy, then maybe you're going to get more jumping behavior. You're going to get more barking as the dog goes out and runs right to the trees to bark at the squirrels. So Those are anxious triggers for people too. If you know your dog's a, a mental case when he jumps out of the vehicle, now you're going to open the door. You know he's going to be nuts. Yeah. So it'd be nice to just take a breath, have a plan, start working on just that little behavior when you don't need it, rather than every time you go to the dog daycare and you go to take him out of the car and then you're like trying to tackle him because you know he's just going to burst out, (laughs) you know? It's just a a broken bone waiting to happen. And that would be a good time to change up the routine like we talked about. Maybe throw a crate in the car, look at things differently, but evaluate these things in different moments of your life with, if you have multiple dogs, with each dog individually and think about Am I being self-aware? Is the lack of my self-awareness maybe what's causing some of the negative effects with my dog? So uh, I think that we tied that together pretty well. Do you have anything else to say? Well, just that if you um, get a little better control of your dog and you try to stay in the moment with them, it's incredible how much calmer your entire life will become. You don't realize how much stress your dog is causing you until after you've either, uh, unfortunately, the dog passes away or... You actually establish some control, you get some training, and then you say, holy smokes, I should have done this a long time yeah. ago. You know? Or the dog just gets so old and fat that they're yeah. less of a problem. It, it, yeah, <laughs> but, I mean, but it is. usually they live a long time. So The quicker you combat these little nuances, the better for everybody. Next week, we're going to have a super special guest on from Boston Dog Lawyers. Thank you so much for joining us here today. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. <laughs> Take care. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.